story. Five strangers living in a house and having their lives taken. To find out what happened. When people stop being polite and start being real. The, the real world Daniel Plan style. Okay guys. So this week in the Daniel Plan is about fitness. So that's my specialty. I want you guys to ship in shape. I'm gonna show you how to do it. I'm gonna show you how to get ripped. Okay, my friends, let's start it. Two misses it. Come on, Scott. Come on, Scott. Three. Push it. Welcome, everybody. So this week, we're in part three of a six-part series of The Daniel Plan. I know a lot of you guys are in the life groups already, but just to give you a recap for people who may not know or this is your first time, so the first week, Father Anthony gave an introduction to The Daniel Plan. He talked about how your body is the temple of God, and you take care of your body. And then last week, Steve talked about principles to lasting change. And he looked at more of like a holistic view or holistic approach to a healthy lifestyle, mind, body, and spirit. So this week, we're talking about goal setting. Now, I wanted to start off with a quote, because we all love quotes. It says, if you want to live a happy life, tie it to a goal. This is by Albert Einstein. That's really nice and sweet of Albert Einstein. You know, he's working on his nuclear physics to then come back and say, well, I want people to live a happy life. So it's really nice of him. But God wants a little bit more. God is saying, not only do I want you to live a happy life, not only do I want goals to be the basis of happiness in your life, I want goals to be the basis of spiritual discipline in your lives. And then he's really adamant, and we see that early on in the book of Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is this prophet, and he's living in Judah, and he kind of surveys the landscape, and he sees that the Jewish nation, 
they've lost it. They've strayed from God. And he looks at the Jewish nation. He says, these people are corrupt. These people are wicked. These people are not just. They're sinful. They're not righteous. And he gets ready to go to God as the prophet. And he's like bundling up this complaint. And he's going to go to God. And he goes up. And he says, this is what's wrong with your people. And he says, God, straighten their ways. He says, God, this is, how are you going to let your people stray? These are your people. You've taken them out of the wilderness. Straighten their ways. And he goes and he, he complains and he sends this complaint and God answers. And this is how God answers. God answers with goal setting. He said, and the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Habakkuk is a prophet going to God and God says, I get it. I understand. That's your current state. I don't care about the past. I know that's what's wrong with my people. I know that's what's wrong. But what is your vision? Where do you want to go? Where do you want these people to be? Write it down. Make it clear. God answers with goal setting. And how many times do we go up to God and we say, God, I've sinned. God, I'm a sinner. I, I have lust. I'm impure. I have these addictions. I lie. I steal. I cheat. I'm just a terrible person. And we go up to God and we say, God, straighten my way. And we walk away. And we're really sincere about it. And nothing changes. And we go up to God a couple weeks later and we say the same thing. God, I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous. I'm wicked. God, straighten my way. And God answers the same way he answers Habakkuk. He says, I know that's your past, but what is your vision for yourself? What actions are you going to take to move forward? Write it down, make it plain, so that anybody knows this is where you want to go. I don't care about your past. I'm focused on the future. And God responds with goal setting. Now, God is really adamant about this. He's adamant, and we'll see throughout this talk, that he is a very goal-setting God. And there's a reason. So I... Um, I used to have this friend in high school. I used, to, I used to go to his house, and his dad at the time just built like this patio. And he wanted everyone to use the patio. So every time I'd go, it'd be like 30 degrees, it'd be winter, he'd still want people to use the patio because he made it. And like I'd come, I just wanted to play video games with my friend, and he's like, no, no, we're going outside. No, 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 we're going to, hey, are you hungry? No, we're eating dinner outside today. I'm like, no, I don't want to go outside. I just don't want to. But he insisted that everything we do surrounded the patio that he had built because he invested time in it. I'll, I'll never forget Mr. Scott. God bless him. But uh, so God is the same way. God actually, like I was reading a book, and I think it was The Circle Maker by Mark Battison. It was a while ago. God actually designed us as a goal-seeking being. Our brain is actually, believe it or not, a goal-seeking organism. And he says there's this thing called a reticular activation system. Sounds fancy. We'll just call it RAS from now on. We like acronyms. So what this does is, your brain, basically you wake up and there's like thousands and hundreds of things that are vying for your attention, stimuli that are vying for your attention every day. And this system decides in your brain, this RAS system, it says this is what's going to go in the notice column and this is what's going to go in the unnoticed column. And it decides because if you noticed everything, you'd go crazy. But what happens is when you set a goal, it creates structural tension between, in your brain between you and your goal. And then it creates a category. And then what happens is everything that deals with that goal, your body, your mind puts into the noticed column. So then it tries to reduce the gap between you and your goal because you notice everything. It says now you've created a goal. This system knows that this is your goal. So everything that does has to do with this goal, I have now put in this column. And you will notice everything. And a lot of us, when we were starting the church, we needed a place to worship, right? SDSA. We started, and we needed a place to rent out. 
So before, I had never looked at buildings before. I never even thought about it. I'd just drive, I'd walk, I never noticed the building. And a couple of us, every time now, we're like, wait, we have a goal of getting a church. We need a place to pray. And then, believe me, I, I'm driving and I see this building. I said, this is probably like 6,000 square feet. I think this has to be enough space. This has to be enough for us to pray. And that's what happened. I had this goal and I noticed everything that had to do with this goal. God is very adamant about goal setting. And even more, we'll get back to it, but it says, uh, when there's no vision, the people perish. So that's Proverbs. And Proverbs is really nice, you know, it's you know, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of times we don't really pay attention to it. It's something we put on like a Facebook status because it's wise, but this is like, where there's no vision, the people perish. Perish. Perish is like suffering destruction, destruction of your soul. If you don't have a vision, you will suffer destruction of your soul. And is that really serious? Like that, that to me, I took a step back. But that's how important having a vision is in your life. And God actually proved that. He proved that because God doesn't want good people. God doesn't want bad people. He wants new people. He wants new people with a vision and goals leading to change. And he was very clear about this in the story of the prodigal son. Let me ask you guys a question. In the prodigal son, who entered the father's house? Was it the good son? It wasn't the good son. The good son, actually, if you read, he refused to enter the, the, the house of the Lord. At the end, he refused. Was it the bad son? Did the bad son enter? It wasn't the bad son. The bad son was squandering his money. It was the new son. The new son who had a vision and changed his life was the one who ended up in the father's house. And look at what we see. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. You see, we have a, a bad son, and he had a vision. His vision was, I will set out and go back to my father's house. That was his vision. And then he had a goal. His goal was, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you. And I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to be your hired servant. I'm going to earn my way back to my father's house. That was his goal. And then he had an action. And the action was, so he got up and went to his father. You have a bad son plus a vision plus a goal and some action, and that equals a new son. And God, he's telling these to the Pharisees, and he flipped their world upside down. He said, you guys are the, new, uh, the good people. You guys, you don't, you don't change. Your heart doesn't change. Your heart is far from me. But he says, I prefer somebody who, although they take 50 steps backwards, 50 steps backwards to the point where the guy cursed his father, wished him dead, said, I want my inheritance. That's what you give me when you die. I want you dead right now. I'm going to take your money, and that's your social status. So I'm making you this big, and I'm mocking you. I'm taking it. And he says, although this person, my son, took 50 steps backwards, and he takes five steps forward because he has a plan. He has a vision, and his heart is made new. He said, that's who is with me in my house. Our God is a goal-setting God. Look at what it says in Ephesians. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Christ 
was the plan of God. Now, how many times do you say, wait a second, plan? I'm not supposed to plan. Like, I trust God. Plan. God, no, 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 God doesn't care about my plans. And we know those people, you know, what's that saying? If you want to make God laugh, what do you do? You tell him your plans? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's not, that's, that's saying God wants people to plan. God wants people to plan. Imagine if Father Anthony comes in and he says, we have this vision night. Guys, this is my vision for the church. This is my plan. This is where we should go as a church. And we just start heckling him. Or we start laughing at him. We say, that's cute. That's really cute. Father Anthony has a plan. Oh, that's adorable. The, the, the priest has a plan. No, we would never do that. It's not, God looks forward to our plans. He looks forward to our future. So if you keep looking at like the big picture, you focus, then you see that God is somebody who wants, is more concerned with who you're becoming, not necessarily who you are. And we all know that like the God willing person, right? The, you say, hey, are you gonna come to my uh, birthday dinner? You know, I need to make reservations. Are you gonna come? And the guy says, uh, God willing, I'll be there. Well, I need a number. So, like, are you going to come to the, the dinner? I need to know. No, 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 God willing, I'll be there. Okay, I get that, but I need to make plans. If it's God's will, he will provide a chair for me. Don't we know people like that? Don't we know people? God, is, God doesn't want, he wants the plans. He wants the plans. And our God is an orderly God. He's someone who likes structure. A disorganized person can't fully partake in the abundance of an organized God. I'm talking about like a lifestyle. It's okay. Sometimes we don't, we're not orderly. We don't plan things out. But a lifestyle of disorganization, you can't really partake in the abundance of an organized God. And we'll see that. And we all know the story feeding the multitudes. But he said to his disciple, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. You guys see what happened here? What did God do before the miracle? What did he do? He organized them. God said, if you want this tilapia, if you want this halibut, I don't know what kind of fish, but if you want this bread, you are going to have to sit down in groups of 50. Because I'm not doing the miracle. I will not do the miracle with chaos. I will not do the miracle if you're not organized. If you're not structured, I will not do it. You will not partake in the abundance of an organized God if you are a disorganized people. And he says, you sit down in groups of 50. And if you don't, I'm not going to give you the, the, the five loaves and two fish. I'm not going to do the miracle. And then that's what we see with God. So you guys can fill this in. This is number one. Goal setting is a commitment to change. So they say, um, like they actually surveyed uh, a lot of psychiatrists. And what they found is when they asked them, they say, so what is like the number one thing that gets people to change? What's the number one thing? Like you, you see people who are in despair, you see people who are depressed, you see people who have no hope, and they don't know what their future is. And, and a lot of them, actually the majority of them will say the best thing that I can do for my patient is to have them write a vision and set goals. He says when I can do that for somebody, that is the best thing, that's the most impactful that I can have on a patient is for them to map out their life with goals to get them from where they are to where they want to be. St. Paul says, you were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, 
in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So God wants the transformation. He wants change. He wants us to move forward. He's constantly talking about being made new because he said, I come to make all things new. He wants us to constantly look forward because that's how we maintain our balance. Number two of why is it important for me to set personal goals. Goals enable leadership. Goals enable leadership. So the, the definition of a leader, and it's like purest sense, is somebody that can influence change. If you say this is a leader, you say this is a person that influences change. When goals are a commitment to change, a leader is someone who influences change. Who is the greatest leader of all time? Jesus Christ. He was the greatest leader. Like this isn't even a Christian thing. If you take any human and you sit them down here, any objective person, and you say, in history, who was the most influential person to ever walk the face of the earth? They will tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, it was Jesus Christ. This guy broke time in half to the point where people gathered around in a room and said, the way we were calculating the calendar years before, we're going to chalk it up to not knowing what we were doing. We're starting with one all over again because that's how influential of a person this guy was. And weren't we all called to be in God's image? We can all agree, right? God made us in his image. But if I tell you, are leaders born or are they created? There's a debate. We can have a debate on this. I'm telling you, we are all leaders. This is the most important thing. After I finish with this, you guys can go to sleep. This is the most important thing of the talk. We are all leaders. I promise you, God wants us to be leaders, whether it's the leader of a nonprofit organization, whether it's the leader of a church, whether it's the leader of your family because your children need you, it's the leader of your, of your work, it's the leader amongst your friends at your school. God wants everyone to be a leader because we are created in his image. And the best thing that the devil tries to do is he tries to say, you're not a leader. You can't influence change. You, because you're not good looking enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have the gift of public speech. You're not a leader. You can't be. And he tries to convince us. He says, no, you're a Christian that just consumes. I don't want you to influence change. But we are all leaders. You know what I hate? You know what I hate more than anything? I hate moving. I hate moving. Like, if you say, Peter, what do you hate? I hate moving. I hate moving into a home. I hate, like, trying to build couches that try to fit through door frames that really don't fit. I don't know what, like, it's impossible. And you try to slide through, and you're like, your knuckles start hurting. I hate it. I hate moving. It's like the bane of my existence. But you know what I hate even more? Helping other people move. <laughs> I, hate, I hate helping other people move. That's, I hate that more than moving. And we've all been in that position where someone comes and says, hey, I need help moving. And then you're like, oh, no. So basically, you're telling me that I want to waste my entire Saturday. It's going to be really hot because no one ever moves in the winter. It's going to be really hot. I'm going to spend my entire day trying to help you move. And as thanks, you're going to offer up a couple slices of pizza. I don't want to do it. But then, you know, we're sitting here, and we all run into this. Someone comes in, Billy. We'll name him Billy. He says, he says I need help moving. I'm moving. And then we're, like, with our group of friends, and we're like, oh, my God, no. Billy, Billy wants us to move. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. I'm doing something. No, I'm busy. I can't. And then some schmuck, some jerk of a friend says, you know what, Billy? I'll help you move. And then you know what Billy says? Billy says, well, then I choose you. And then Christ, he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And you know the difference between called and chosen is by saying yes. Christ is coming to us and saying, are you going to be a leader? Are you going to influence change? And there's some crazy Christians 
who decide to raise their hand and say yes. And he says, well, then I choose you. That's the difference. That's the difference. I always just think, am I called or am I chosen? Like Billy wanting <laughs> someone to help them move, and that guy says, I'll help you move, and he says, then I choose you. And that's the difference. That's what God wants. That's the difference between being called and chosen, is just saying yes. So why is it important for me to set personal goals? Number three, goals stretch my faith. So I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan. He has a quote. He says, limits like fears are often just an illusion. Limits like fears are often just an illusion. A lot of times we let the size of our goal be determined by the size of our God. And if we have a small God, a lot of times the size of our goal is, is kind of small. But we need to stretch ourselves. And that's what goal setting does. Because a lot of us have been in a situation where we think we can't do something. And we end up doing it and we're like, man, I surprised myself. How did I get to that level? How did I train for this? How did I work towards this? Man, I just set a goal and I put my mind to it. And I was able to accomplish it. I can see the glory of God. Goals stretch people's faith. It says, according to your faith, will it be done to you? According to your faith, will it be done to you? And then in Romans, it says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Not because, like, if you're sitting around and, you know, you have nothing better to do, you're just sinning. It's because if you're just in a comfort zone, there's nothing good that can come out of it. So it's according to your faith, according to where you want to go, let it be done to you. Because nothing good comes out of being comfortable. There's nothing good that comes out of being comfortable. That's what God and St. Paul are trying to tell us. Goals build my character. So who wants to know some interesting character traits about America? You guys want to know some interesting character traits? So I'm going to let you guys know. This is some interesting character traits about your fellow Americans. 13% of Americans see all 10 commandments as binding today. This was done a while ago, so actually these numbers are probably worse. 91% lie regularly. 25% would abandon their families for $10 million. 23% would become a prostitute for a week for $10 million. 7% of Americans said that they would kill a stranger for $10 million. Think about that. In a gathering of 100 Americans, seven people would kill you if the price was right. That's crazy. Those are the character traits, though, of our fellow Americans. What happened? Like, what happened? It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Don't be conformed. We know water. You put water into a container, it'll take the shape of anything. St. Paul is saying, don't do that. You're a leader in a generation. I've put you in this society, God is saying. Don't conform because we know that we live in a country that is progressing in technology and progressing in medicine, but it's regressing in morality, 100%. Who's ever watched the show Gilligan's Island? It's my favorite show. I love Gilligan. You like Gilligan? Yeah, it's the best. Have you noticed that Marianne in the show, you know she wasn't allowed to show her belly button? She wasn't allowed to show her belly button. What about I Love Lucy? You watch I Love Lucy? Lucy and Ricky Ricardo were married. Did they sleep in the same bed on the show? No, they weren't allowed. That was then. Now look. Now we see shows like The, the Real World and, and crazy stuff. Like imagine where we were and where we're becoming. We live in a society that's regressing in morality. And God is saying don't take on the shape of your container. Don't take on the shape of the society. Renew yourselves. Have goals and be a leader. Goals give me hope. 
Number five. So there's this thing in science um, when I was in college. A professor tried to explain it to me. It, it was very difficult. It's, uh, it's called the second law of thermodynamics. I don't know what thermodynamics means. I even tried to, on Wikipedia, I promise you, on Wikipedia before the talk, I tried to look to see if I could refresh my memory. I, I couldn't understand what it was saying. But there was one part that the professor said that was actually kind of spiritual. He said, in an isolated system, basically, without an external power source, all things cease to work. Without an external power source, everything will decay. And we can see that with the sun. If we don't have the sun, this earth ceases to work. Without the sun, this earth will decay. Goals are the same way. Goals give us hope. Goals are that external energy source. If I say, what is your goal for your marriage? You say, I don't have a goal. I don't have that external power source. Well, you know what your goal for your marriage is? It's for it to get worse. That's what you're, it's for it to stop working. It's for it to decay. If I say, what's your goal for your health? Your goal for your health, if I say you don't have a goal for your health, well, I'm going to stay the same. Okay, well, then your goal is to get worse or decay. If I say, what's your goal for your relationship with Christ? And you say, it's to stay the same. Well, then your goal for your relationship with Christ is to get worse. Without the external power source, if we're in an isolated system, all things will stop working. And goals give us hope. They give us hope. It says, the plans I have for you are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They are plans to give you hope and a future. They are plans to give you hope and a future. Now, godly goals bring glory to God. This is number one of what, what kind of goals does God bless. Godly goals bring glory to God. So St. Paul, he says that we are vessels meant to contain God's glory. And in Isaiah, it says God created us for his glory. And if you think about, like, glory... That's like really abstract. Like, what does the glory of God mean? What is the glory of God? Like, God is up here. It's his glory. He says, but we're created to, to, as vessels to contain God's glory. What does that mean? But you know, they say that God created us because it's through us and his creation in nature that his glory is manifested. Because it's through the love that we have for people. It's through the humility that we show. It's through the, the heroism that we have the compassion, the kindness. It's through all those things that we have is when we manifest God's glory. So godly goals are something where we say, God, you're going to be this big, and I'm going to be this big. I'm going to manifest your character traits. And those are godly goals. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God in 1 Corinthians. Whether you eat or drink, do it all. For, like, I don't, it doesn't matter which college you go to. It doesn't matter if you wake up, you drink orange juice or apple juice. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Because there is a circumstance where you can always show God's glory. We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Number two, godly goals are motivated by love. Motivated by love. So a goal, God wants to look at our hearts. He, he's more concerned with why we're doing the things we are. And you notice that, you know, he's always talking to the Pharisees saying, your heart is far from me. He's saying, your heart is far from me. Why are you doing the things you do? But God wants us to have a goal that's for love for other people. If it's a goal that's for pride, if it's a goal that we want just to boost our ego, God doesn't want that. God wants something that he can take and use us for his glory. 
He wants something that he can take and say, I can manifest my glory in you because I can see how you're serving people. I can see what you're doing for others. I can see the love that you have for others. Godly goals are motivated by love. And it says, let all that you do be done with love. Godly goals fulfill God's purpose. Number three, godly goals fulfill God's purpose. It says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. An instrument of righteousness. God wants us to be an instrument of righteousness. An instrument of people that are set apart. People that are influencing change. People that are looking to be the forefront of Christianity. They're leaders. They're leaders. And he says, I want you to be an instrument of righteousness. I want you to be able to take the, the talents and the gifts that I have given you and go and change the world. Like Christ, when he says, he said, go two by two. Go two by two and go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. Well, look, go make people instruments of righteousness. Go make yourself an instrument of righteousness. Because, man, that's like something where we're an instrument of righteousness. Like the, the, the book of Acts is going to keep going when we're an instrument of righteousness. Like the next chapter is going to still keep to be written. What kind of goals does God bless? Okay, number four, godly goals are costly. This is really important. Godly goals are costly. So Christ invented this concept of a cost-benefit analysis. It says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Christ is saying very clearly, if you want to benefit, there has to be a cost. There's no such thing as a benefit without a cost. I remember a couple years ago, um, Katie and I, we went to New York. Actually, I think Sherry even came with us. Um, there's this place called Canal Street, right? And there's like all these vendors. And you get to, you know, bargain, you get to buy stuff. And I was feeling really generous. So Katie, I'm going to get you a nice watch, this nice Chanel watch, right? And it had like diamonds on it. It was like gold. And it was like heavy. And like she put it on. She loved it. And the guy wanted $20. I gave him like 10 Like it was just, it was dirt cheap. But I think like a week later, actually I haven't seen Katie wear it ever since. But a week later, like it started to break apart. It, it started to break apart. It, the, the diamonds were falling off. The, the hour hand, the minute, they just stopped working. And, like, I think it gave her a rash on her wrist, honestly. But the watch wasn't worth anything. Do you want to know why? Why? It didn't cost anything. It didn't cost anything. And I hate to say this, and it's true, but I hate to say this. God, like... He purchased our salvation. It was the greatest acquisition in history. It was more than Disney buying ABC or pharmaceutical companies buying pharmaceutical companies. This was the greatest acquisition ever. He purchased our salvation. It was a huge cost, and it had a huge benefit. But do you want to know why? Like, if our Christianity doesn't cost us anything, our Christianity isn't worth anything. And it's really sad. But godly goals are costly. If you're living your life, and it's not costing you anything. You're just living. You're along for the ride. You're along for the ride. You're just happy to be here. You're a Christian that's just consuming. You're not focused on change. You're not focused on influencing. You're not focused on being a leader. You're just along for the ride. There's no cost. Well, then your Christianity isn't worth anything. And it's sad. And something that even I struggle with, it's like, how do I make my Christianity cost something? 
Because if I want it, if I want there to be a huge benefit, I need there to be a cost. Right. <clears throat> Number five, godly goals are achieved with God's power. And look at what uh, Zechariah says. It says, not by might nor by power, but by, my, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So everyone has coaches in life, right? Everyone, athletes, sports athletes, they all have coaches. Even chess players have coaches. They need someone. God is saying, let me be your coach. He's saying, you can't do this alone. He's like, we're going to set goals together. You have a vision, and I promise you that I will help you because I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. And he's very clear on that. He says, not by, you know, your might or your power. He says, but my spirit. He says, I'm going to help you. And God can encourage us as long as we focus on him and we say, God, I need your help. I can't do this. Here's where I want to go. This is my, my current state. This is where I want to be. Here are the goals. I've made it plain. And he says he's going to help. His spirit's going to help us. Number six, godly goals include others. Godly goals include others. This is important too. And I think even next week we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But like a goal is something that you do for yourself. But... You know, you also create goals because you love other people too. You love God and you love other people. And there's a community, when you have a community of Christians who are setting goals together and say, this is where we want to go as a church and this is how we're going to help each other and lift each other up and go outreach and be a mission and go show people that we are Christians and we're going to influence change or we create a community of leaders, it's including others. Because there's nothing better, you know, they say like, when there's precious oil running down the beard of Aaron and, and, and brothers are uniting. So there's nothing sweeter than that. And with this verse, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Keep loving one another. Godly goals are focused on love, loving God, and loving others. So, to keep in line with the theme of the Daniel plan for this week, it says right here, blessed are those who thirst. Who wants to get thirsty? Do you guys want to be thirsty? All right, you want to be thirsty? So, this week, it's the fitness. It's focused on the, the, the F this week is fitness. So, we want to get thirsty. We want to come together. And we, we, Abuna said, you know, our body is like a temple of God. This is something that we can start taking care of our bodies this way, fitness. So I'm going to segue into something that is a goal that we can start off with, and that is the 5K Run for Hope. So that is August 23rd. It's great. People who did it last year loved it. They had a great time. You can bring your families. You can do you know, whatever you want. You don't have to even run the whole time. But honestly, it's for a cause for children with blood disorders and cancer. So proceeds go towards that. It's a really good cause. It's on August 23rd, and you can register at thehopeassociation.org. It's online. It'll tell you how to register. Um, and this is something that we can start together. And it, it matches the theme of this week as fitness. So I hope you guys, you know, you're free August 23rd. It's, it's great, and it's really for a good cause. All right, let us stand up in prayer. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. For this gathering, Lord, I ask that you please bless our hearts, Lord, and bless our minds and bless our thoughts, Lord, and that we truly look at our bodies as a temple of God, Lord. 
and that we really commit to goals and we commit to a change because, Lord, like you said, you make all things new. And you want us to put off the old and to put on the new. You want us to constantly move forward. You don't care about who we are, but you care about who we're becoming. So, Lord, I ask that you guide our hearts, you bless us, you really motivate us to have a lifestyle of change in you, mind, body, and spirit. Lord, bless this church. Bless our priest, Father Anthony, as he shepherds this church. Lord, bless the congregation and bless all the services and the ministries and that we may continually strive towards the love that you want and, and the glory that should be manifested. Lord, I ask the intercessions of St. Mary, St. Timothy, St. Athanasius, and all your saints as we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Christ's sake, I am the king of the